If green is your favorite color or your way of living, then Grounded is the place for you. From big environmental solutions to your own backyard, wherever in the universe you may be, join me, Melanie Walker, on a journey to a cleaner, greener life. Grounded, your window on the environment. And a very good day to you. Yes, it's another episode of Grounded, the place where you can find out how to make your life more green, not just with plants, but also for the environment. And joining me in the podcast studio today, we have the MD of ICFAS, Justin Hess, and Anthea Campbell from the Eco Balance Lifestyle magazine. And it's so lovely to see such smiling faces so early in the day. <laughs> it's just nice to see faces. <laughs> <laughs> this is also true. <laughs> I think the hiding behind masks becomes quite a thing and it's, it's nice to see more than just eyes. Although I think it's given us a lot more in the way of kind of being able to emote with our eyes. Except exactly. some people just look always angry. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But thank you for joining us and for taking the, the time out of your very busy schedules to come and talk about it. So now, ICFAS, obviously something to do with fish. And I yeah. see it says aquaponics as well. First of all, I want to know what is the difference between aquaponics and hydroponics? Sure. Hydroponics is the growing of plants in a soilless media using nutrient-rich water. So basically growing plants, feeding them what they need when they need it, on a schedule using normally a recirculating system where you recycle the water. Now, with hydroponics, it can pretty much be done anywhere. You're not dependent on the ground, you're not dependent on the land, and it's growing very, very quickly. Interestingly, hydroponics started in the Second World War as a method of growing food at the various bases. Mm-hmm. You fast forward 30, 40 years, there was more interest in how do we make hydroponics organic? The very essence of hydroponics is inorganic. You're using inorganic fertilizers in a pretty unnatural system. Mm -hmm. And the the demand started to come, how do we do this more organically? And that's when the dots were joined between fish farming, which is aquaculture, and hydroponics. Now, with aquaponics, what we're doing is we are running a full fish farm. Mm -hmm. So the farming of fish in a closed system. And what we do is we take the water from those fish. After it's gone through a set of filters, it produces a lot of nitrate. Now, nitrate's your number one nutrient. It's the protein for plants. Mm. And it's your most expensive nutrient in hydroponic farming. When the fish are able to produce the nitrates, the plants consume those. And what's returned back to my fishes is very clean water. And the fish, what do they do? They poop and they pee again. And the cycle continues. Now, Aquaponics solves two major issues. One is uh, nutrient supply for plants Mm -hmm. in an organic way and very low cost. And then on my fish side, it's one of the most effective filtration methods to strip the nitrates out the water, ensuring I never, ever have to change my fish water. So it's a completely closed loop system where my fish farm is connected to my hydroponics farm. So aquaponics is a form of hydroponics, but my primary nutrients is coming from my fish farm, where I'm growing my fish, my protein, and the fish obviously consume food, the food turns into waste, the waste goes through the filters and the filtration, and the plants suck out the nitrates again. And so it's an amazing balance that actually mimics Mm. nature in many ways. So what came first, the plants or the fish? In aquaponics? No, for you. Oh, for me. (laughs) (laughs) I've always loved fishing. Fish for me, it was part of me, but I was very drawn to farming. Mm. I've got a very non-farming background, 
but it's always been a passion of mine. I've been in corporate and finance and around the world. And when I saw this aquaponics farm, I fell in love with it. Mm. I said, what more would I want than to be a farmer and grow fish? And I just fell in love with both ends. So uh, I was definitely attracted to farming, Mm. but the fish was the hook. And that's what kind of got me out of the rat race of corporate and pursuing developing these methodologies, which I think will change the world and it will be part of our food security in the future. Food security definitely became a thing during the lockdown, especially in this country with so many people who went, were going hungry. And the amount of people that were suddenly like, well, I can't go anywhere. I'll do stuff in my garden. And, yeah. and people started growing a lot of stuff. But what, we must keep our own cows in our backyards? What was that one <laughs> thing that was said by one of the ministers? I'm like, but fish is definitely something that you could probably look at, even if you have only a small space. Because I remember a few years back in the garden centers, there were the little aquaponic mm-hmm. setups. Yeah. It was an aquaponic, yeah. With the fish tank in the bottom mm-hmm. and then a, a thing on the top with all the vegetables growing. Yeah. Once again, a little closed loop. And I thought, well, that's actually quite a good idea. But what kind of fish are you growing? Because obviously, <laughs> I mean, if you're growing fish, you're growing fish for eating. Correct. And that's not going to be goldfish. No, it's not goldfish. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yes, the fish brings in a whole dynamic. Now, One of the challenges, and I think why aquaponics and fish farming has been so slow, especially in where we are, Gauteng, is the dual climates we live in. Mm. Now, what you'll notice is most fish prefer it either cold or they prefer it hot. And so when it comes to aquaponics, you've got to choose which side of the, especially in Gauteng, you've got to choose which side of the equation Mm. you want to. So you're going to grow fish in winter or in summer? Yeah, well, you'll grow them all year, but realizing in winter if the water gets too cold you've got to find a way to heat it up mm. and so when we started off we were farming uh, with a fish called tilapia rindali so tilapia is a beautiful fish to eat i know it as bream it's very popular particularly in northern africa mm. zambia and the likes that was where i kind of started with it's a fairly straightforward fish to do the demand's growing for it but being a fisherman in the bottom of my heart um, i always wanted to farm trout <laughs> You've got to go thrash the waters and catch them trout. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And everyone I spoke to, including the professors, the people who knew, they said it's impossible to do it in Johannesburg because they cannot survive summer. And I said, I don't like to be told what I can't do. I like to find out how I can do it. Mm. So I got a few trout in from a friend and I grew them for a year and I grew them up to over a kilo. And I was like, wow, that actually wasn't so hard. And then we started scaling up and we started moving from tilapia to trout, which is a a much more profitable fish. Mm. And over the last three years, we've been developing that model using smart ways to regulate my water temperature so that the trout are happy. And what we found was it wasn't that the trout can't survive the warmer water. It's just you had to provide them an environment that was slightly more comfortable. Mm. And the beauty of the aquaponics is my water is so clean. It's so pristine. And that's one big thing that uh, trout need is very clean water. Mm. And so the aquaponics helped with that. It helped creating a very nice environment for those fish. And then we we ran a trial where we dug trenches and we put pipes underground and we just pumped our water through those pipes. And underground, my temperature is 18 degrees. And so we started actually being able to control our temperatures much better and maintain it at pretty optimal level for my plants, for my fish. And so now we predominantly farming rainbow trout. We still got a bit of tilapia and pangaceus for mm-hmm. certain clients, but our, our main product is trout. We're now doing smoked trout. We're doing cured ribbons. 
And the market's falling in love with it, the freshness of it, the healthiness of it. Mm. Uh, we feed our fish a very organic diet. We don't vaccine them. Do you know that every fish that's farmed is vaccined? Mm. We don't need to vaccine. We don't vaccine. We don't feed antibiotics because it's going to harm the plant side. It's going to harm my filtration. Yeah. We were forced to be organic in how we farm our fish and how we grow our plants. And so from the fish side, we've actually got an amazingly high quality product that we feel is differentiated because the awareness around fish, like if I told you that that salmon you bought the other day had been vaccinated multiple times, fed routine antibiotics and fed a dye to make its, its flesh pink. pink, correct, that's not a natural pink, would you still eat it? Probably yes, because I like it. And it contains <laughs> no omega-3, would you still eat it? No. It depends. I mean, if I can get like really good fish, but it's, as you said, in Johannesburg, that's, it's a difficult thing because it's coming, but I do go to really good fishmongers yeah, and I try and get as many natural products as possible. But when, when you have children who are completely mad about sushi, yeah, then you will, if they, yeah. oh, we want some salmon. Well, but I do hear what you're saying that you want to go as natural as possible. Yeah. And it's creating that awareness. Mm. You know, when you buy that fish, we assume it's healthy, but that's with all food mm. today. And this method of farming you are bound to obey the laws of nature. The moment you don't, you lose sync between the two sides. Your filtration goes out, your nitrates and nitrites will rise, your fish will suffer, your plants, you know. So if you know you're buying your stuff from an aquaponic farm, you are almost guaranteed that that's been certified by nature on your behalf. Mm. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Now, are you going to grow salmon? Could you do it in <laughs> Johannesburg? Yes, you can do it in Johannesburg. I think we, we took a, a big gamble with the trout. We've proven many people wrong around the world mm. who are baffled that we are doing trout in a large way and large scale where we live. And that obviously then brings the next one. Well, it's the same family. Mm. Trout is a salmonoid. The salmon are just designed to grow bigger. So you, you're growing them for a few more years than you would a trout. That project I would love to get underway. As it stands, we're stabilizing with the trout. Um, I don't like to move too quickly. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, we've, we're seeing crazy winters. Who knows what the summer's going to bring? You know, if we get long, hot, dry droughts again, will my method of maintaining water temperature be sufficient? Because salmon now is trout plus plus. Yes. <laughs> In terms of On sensitivity. Steroids. Yeah. But not real steroids, obviously. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> On the other side of it, what plants are you growing? The staple crops we do is obviously your lettuces. So we do red lettuce, green lettuce. We do a lot of celery. We do lots of cucumbers. We do lots of tomatoes. We do herbs. So we do basil, mint, uh, watercress, spinach, green spring onions, red spring onions, chives, pak choy. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the main lines that, that we run. But the main focus is uh, celery and uh, lettuce. And then cucumbers and tomatoes, especially as we go into summer, that becomes a very good crop for yeah, us. Yeah, I was going to say, what on, what on earth are you going to be doing in winter? Because most of those are kind of, well, with the exception of some of the herbs, you know, it's all kind of summer stuff. Well, again, it comes to the beauty of, of what we're doing. So because my water and my environment is relatively controlled and stable, we can grow most crops year round. So most of the crops issue when it comes to summer or winter is actually the temperature of its root zone. So the temperature of that root zone, if it gets too warm, it's unable to absorb the nutrients it needs. If it gets too cold, it might also be unable to absorb the nutrients. Now, 
by being able to maintain a temperature as close to 18 degrees, we've grown cucumbers straight through winter, tomatoes straight through winter. We're not as affected by frost issues because we're in tunnels. You're creating an artificial environment that you can control. Mm. But then that's not natural. So, <laughs> so I'm going to hold you off on that one. But I mean, obviously, you're doing this on a fairly big scale. Where are you in Midrand? How much space have you actually dedicated to like fish farms and then to the vegetable side of it? Sure. So our farm is on one hectare of land. Now, in farming terms, that's tiny because mm. if you speak to a normal farmer, you'd be saying, uh, how many hundreds of hectares do you have? So we've got one hectare of farm that we've optimized with our tunnels. Mm. We have seven agricultural tunnels and in total about three and a half thousand square meters of space actually being used. So about half the land is actually planted in the aquaponic systems. And from that system, we're able to, on a monthly basis, produce between one and four tons of trout. And then on the fresh produce side, you know, it's hard to put a number on it, but to put it in perspective, we could, if we just grew lettuce, could grow 100,000 lettuce heads a month, every month for 12 months. Okay, that, that's actually, and, and such a small space, that's amazing. Yeah. Which just goes to show that if you're a home gardener and a home f- food producer, mm-hmm. You can actually create enough from a very, very small kind of um, aquaponic system to supply not just yourself, but also like neighbors or family. Absolutely. And you got to start looking after yourself. You know, if you can produce such a variety. And when I went through the list of produce that we're growing, Mm. what you'll notice now, the big difference of aquaponics versus hydroponics is the ability to diversify in such a wide range of crops mm, mm. without having to become a specialist in every need of those plants you can grow them and know that you're getting the majority of what they need from that system so when it comes to home growing you know you can have your cauliflowers and broccolis and brussels sprouts your spinach your cucumbers your tomatoes all on your back door if you don't have a lot of space well grow upwards yeah, vertical. You know, vertical farming. What kind of system would you suggest to people to set up? I mean, do you go and set up home systems for people? or We love to spread the message mm-hmm. um, of how to do this. So we do run training. So this month we will be uh, launching our physical training again at our main farm. And what we do is we use that training to basically teach students how to build it themselves using the components in, in, in the right way. Uh, And so a lot of students afterwards then have the confidence to procure the different materials that they need and set it up. And then if they want us to come out and help, we can. If they want to just purchase a system, we'll happily come and and set it up for them. But it's really showing that it's not as difficult as YouTube makes it out to be, but it's also not as simple as YouTube Mm. makes it out to be. (laughs) And we try to break through that myth that's Mm. created of confusion. I find it strange that every household doesn't have one of these systems, that every hospital doesn't have a system, every school doesn't have a system. And that's what I want to see. I want to see that point where we are in control of our own food. We're not dependent on imported fertilizers. You know, many of the fish you can also feed naturally, like cuckoo grass and banana leaves and silkworm leaves, and they'll eat it. Mm. And that will actually convert into to your fertilizer for for the plants so how much space would somebody actually really need and what kind of fish would you use in a home system because obviously you can't grow like trout (laughs) (laughs) not that you can't i mean it would be Um, kind of like quite a thing so in terms of space the smaller system that we got actually takes up about half a square meter so half a square meter of space and you it's a vertical system Mm -hmm. 
So it could be on your balcony. And in that, you can actually grow 50 different plants at a time. That's fantastic. In half a square meter. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And uh, the fish underneath? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a tank, obviously. Yeah, fish underneath. And what fish? You have a personal choice. So a number of people like to go with things like koi, mm-hmm. which is a very hardy fish. It kind of tolerates summer, it tolerates winter. Most people will go with tilapia. And then what you'll do in winter when it gets too cold is you'll just have a, a little heater, like an aquarium heater in there to, to keep it a bit warmer. And then the beauty of it is that extra warmth allows you to grow your summer crops also uh, in the winter. If you've got enough space and you want to put a pond in, mm-hmm. well, how practical would that be? <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking from, from the point of view of the people changing their pools over to eco pools, yeah. right? Which I've been to a few of them. They're stunning and they all have fish in them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean, you swim with the fishies. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like the mafia. But the plants are absolutely fantastic. That is quite a big space. Yeah. Would you need a big space like that if you were going to do it outdoors? So in those pool conversions, it's slightly different to, to how you do traditional aquaponics because mm-hmm. in those pools, your density of fish is relatively low for the volume of water that they've got. And to put that in perspective, at our farm, we'll be farming up to 100 fish for every thousand liters of water. In those natural pools, you'll probably have two to three fish per thousand liter. And so what that means is, because my volume of fish is so much lower, now if I was to increase the fish, I'd struggle to deal with all the waste from those fish in a pool. It's not designed for for heavy, heavy Mm. waste. Um, That determines how many plants I can grow. So you would have a big pond, not so many fish, and then a smallish space for your plants, which is based on how much nutrient are you extracting from that system. And if you didn't go for that, you would flip it around. I could put a thousand liter tank and you could farm more fish than the guy does in his natural pool in that thousand liter tank because of your density and you could probably grow more plants. So it's all about the balance between how many fish have you got, how Mm. much nutrients are they actually providing and how many plants do I need to be able to manage and create that balance? I think every single household should have this. Mm. Except just don't name your fish because then you won't eat them. Yeah, this is true. No, 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 you name them. Lunch on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing. I mean, fish is actually, it's become incredibly expensive. I mean, really? I, I would eat fish all day, every day. I love mm. it. Okay, but you go into the shops and you, you look at it and you think, it's just too cost prohibitive, especially if you're working on a major budget, like yeah. so many people are. Um, they can't afford, I mean, if they're lucky, if they can afford some, like a little bit of red meat every mm. now and then. So they're going to go for chickens. I would rather see people eating fish. It's real brain food. It, it has yeah. much better, like everything going with it. No, absolutely. I mean, fish is, is very healthy. Although not all fish is is obviously very healthy. Which fish is not healthy? <laughs> you got to know where it comes from. You know, some fish is farmed in sewers. Some fishes. Oh, like the know. long drop crayfish. <laughs> oh, so so you have to know where where your fish comes from first of all, how it's been farmed, where it's been caught. You know, if it's wild caught, well, what about other issues? Mm. But fish where you know the source and you know how it's been farmed is very very healthy. It's got a good balance of omega-3s to omega-6s, high protein, low fat. You know, I love fish. And you know the difference. After you've had a meal of fish, you feel satisfied. Mm. You don't feel bloated and heavy and it's completely different. But fish doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, In South Africa, I'm still baffled we don't eat catfish. Catfish for me is the freshwater hake. If I did a blind test, Mm. you would struggle to pick up the difference between a hake and a catfish as an example. 
So there's this barrier that we've got also with freshwater fish, the thought that oh, it's going to be muddy. Oh, it's not going to taste but good. But some of it is. I mean, I've been trout fishing on some places, and the trout that comes out of there, it really tastes muddy. It does. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go and eat a barbel that I pulled out of Emerentia Dam, for instance, because the water's <laughs> not all that clean. But those fishermen are there all the time. Yes. Soon, we must, mustn't talk about this too much, because otherwise there'll be no fish <laughs> left in there. And they come and eat all of the duck's food as well. You see them, those big mouths carrying yeah. humra, humra. <laughs> So seriously, I mean, why don't people eat catfish? I mean, it is a big thing in, well, especially in the southern states in America. Yeah, it's huge. It's mm. huge. So again, it comes to perception. Now, as a farmer, there's a very, very strict process we follow before culling our fish. Mm. We go through a three-day purging process. Um, and in that process, we don't feed the fish. We flush its system. And what we do is we put in an environment of impeccably clean water for those three days. The end product is what is so good. Now, if I took a fish straight from my fish tank that had just eaten its food and you eat it, then you get that muddy flavor. Mm. So again, it's one of those things that you have it bad once. And that's what we're very aware of with our brand getting into the market now is if I put out one bad fish, people talk, but they'll never eat it again. Yep. Again, it comes to, to knowing your source, your supply. When you find a good source and you know that they're following the right processes, it's phenomenal. And you know that trout was muddy more than likely is because of it was being fed artificial feed or pellets or come straight from a farm into a dam and then it was caught. But when you, you eat a fish that's gone through that proper purging process, even a second step would be a brining process. Mm. It's phenomenal. We can't come and fish at your farm though, hey? You can. Can we come to the rod? You can. <laughs> so, but, I mean, I've been to places where literally the trout jump out of the water onto the hook. And you're sitting there and think, well, this is not fishing. This is not sport. That's why I prefer river yeah. fishing, to be honest with you. Because that is like, it's a catch and release as well, yep. which I quite enjoy doing. But mm. it's that the chase, yeah, the outwitting of the fish. You throw a hook in and all of a sudden there's just a fish on the end of it. That's mm. kind of a bit boring. Yeah, you have no. to learn how to like really. Well, it's fun for my son. He's got the patience of 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, for kids, it's not bad. <laughs> okay, so you fish yeah. for fun, for your business. Yes. Anthea, could you kill a fish? I think I could. Yeah? I know what I'm going to get from it in terms of the nutrients, etc. Yeah, I think I could. I like the idea of fishing and releasing as well for the fun of fishing. Yeah, mm. I could do that. And you? I don't know if I could kill it because <laughs> I always throw them back. I get very mm. upset when I have to actually do it myself. I'd probably get somebody else who's less squeamish than yeah. I am to do it. I'm a hunter, but I'm not a hunter in the way of like actually wanting to take anything out. Yeah. So I think I might be problematic with that. So I'd probably just go for having the fish there to feed the vegetables. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a vegetarian, so <laughs> I, as you might have gathered. Uh, let me just correct myself, actually. Cutting the guts out and the, taking the head off? No, I don't think I could actually do that. Oh, I can do that. Th no, that I can't. <laughs> oh, I can the, the, the and catching, fish quickly. Yeah. yeah, no, that I can't. But uh, catching it and wanting to eat it, yes, I can do. But the other cleaning bits, no. Mm -mm. Oh, no mm. I, got, I got very good with that. Now, if somebody wanted to put a system like this mm -hmm. in at their house, what kind of money are we talking about? That's always the thing that people are like... Yeah. Oh, is it going to be cost effective at the end of the day, even if we want to eat healthily? Because it's like that whole story of having a 700 rand tomato mm -hmm. plant of which you get maybe four tomatoes when you can go into an organic vegetable shop or a natural vegetable shop and buy a whole pallet that you haven't spent all that money on. Yeah, so it reminds me of my million dollar lettuce, the first lettuce I ate out of our system, <laughs> what, I, what I tagged it. But in terms of pricing, you can do it smartly, but... 
for a home system, like I said, if you want to grow like 40, 50 plants for your household and do all your salads, you're probably looking at starting at between four and 5,000 rand. So it's not like cost prohibitive. No, and that, that's for your fish tank, your water pump, your air pump. It's for your grow bed, things like that. The medium. The medium. What, what, what medium are you actually using? Are you using like a coir or? No, we actually use gravel. Oh, okay, just straight gravel. Yeah, okay. we use straight gravel, lasts forever, mm-hmm. uh, very cheap, and it does the job, interestingly enough. So that is our recommendation, but there are alternatives like Laker balls and the likes, which are a bit easier. And I've always said if you if you drive a Porsche and you really love your fingernails, then you'd go for an easy media like a Laker, which your plants grow in. It's soft, it's light, and your, your nails stay intact. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, go and get a truckload of gravel and use that. Absolutely. Okay, so if people want to get in touch with you and they want you to come and put in the system, how would they get hold of you? So you just go to our website, aquaponics.africa, and from there you'll see all the training courses we're doing, the systems that we're promoting. You'll be able to follow the news also on Facebook, Ichthys Aquaponics, I-C-H-T-H-Y-S. You have to go and choose a name which most people can't spell, of course. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Ike this, Itchy this, Icus. <laughs> I've heard it all. <laughs> Indigo Charlie Hotel, Tango Hotel, Yankee Sierra. There we go. And, of course, Anthea is going to be doing a whole thing on this particular discussion in the Ecobalance Lifestyle magazine, which is available online. Yes. And how would people get hold of you if they want to actually subscribe to the magazine? They can go through onto our website, www.ecobalancelifestyle.com. You can find out everything you need. And I really do think it behooves us to start thinking about our food security, to mm. be a little bit more aware of what we're putting in our mouths. If you, you start doing this, then you can, I mean, put all the food groups that have been set up to help feed people. Yep. I mean, can you imagine if you had this and then you have the extra, you can actually start contributing to that as well. That's what I always say. Grow enough for yourself and more to give away. You know, if we all did that, you'd be amazed. And I'm a firm believer that urban farming can provide more than enough food. They believe New York can grow all the fresh produce for New York in New York. Mm, absolutely. Um, and, you know, with this sort of method of farming, it can be done absolutely anywhere. Yeah. You can do it on your top of your roof. You can do it in your garage. You can do it in the basement. I've heard of people just not using their baths, making it a fish tank. <laughs> you can really do it anywhere. Mm. Uh, and that is what is so great. You're not damaging the soil. You're not contributing to soil erosion, to polluting our land. And it's a matter of time before water is seriously scarce. Yep. Just one thing on it is, again, I can't get my head around it. Uh, aquaponics uses 90 to 95% less water than conventional agriculture. Yep. And I am farming fish, which need water and lots of water. It's just, it's, it's so counterintuitive hard to, co- so to comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you would think, oh, if I want to farm fish, loads of water, and I want to grow plants, loads of water. You bring the two together, it eradicates all water wastage. Fantastic. Except for what goes into my plant. Yeah. Well, that's food for thought indeed. Okay, I think we should all become part of the sea change and start doing things like that. All right, so that one again is aquaponics.africa. Yes. You can check out what's going on there and ecobalancelifestyle.com. Thank you both very much for coming and joining us. Keep us updated with people who are getting involved in it and how many people are inspired to come through. Make the difference to the world. Yeah, absolutely. And for the rest of you, no, we're not in the ground today. We were in the water, but you must remember just to always stay grounded. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to another episode of Grounded from Solid Gold Studios in Johannesburg. For more green ideas and events, pop along to Mel's Treasures on Facebook.